Amen. Will you stand to your feet with me, please? Stand to honor God's word. For the next few months, we'll be in Ephesians. We'll start out in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Lord, please add a supernatural blessing with every blessing that we have to the reading of your word. Lord, for us to grasp (laughs) the things we just read, the gravity of it, to understand it, wouldn't be that different than than an ant trying to grasp quantum physics. To understand how, God, how you... You created us good and holy, and, and, and then we took your goodness and defiled ourselves and, and spit on your creation, spit in your face, all sorts of eternal blame on us through our sin, rejected you, separated ourselves from relationship with you. And you chose to send your son to your enemies to make us your sons and daughters. And you planned this not as like a a plan B or like a, oh no, what went wrong? I guess I'll do this now. But you say you planned this from the foundation of the world to the praise and glory of your grace. And this is too much to grasp. We can't fully grasp it, but Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to fully bless you with all that we are, even with the things beyond our understanding, to bless you. We renounce anxiety in this place. In Jesus' name, I bind accusation, distraction, and I ask that you would cause your word to be illuminated in our hearts, that we could understand stuff that maybe we've taken for granted or read by too fast, and to root deep into our being and change us. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, if you are visiting, I want to say thank you. My name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the springs. Uh, Today we start a new series, a series that's going to track with our fasting week. Uh, The content of this series is Ephesians. We're studying in the fasting week the letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus. And so this next several weeks, 
uh, I, from the pulpit here, I'm going to be teaching through chapter by chapter through Ephesians. Uh, Our fasting week, by the way, kicks off next week, a week from tonight at 5 p.m. I say this all the time, you know, we'll say in announcements like, I want everyone to be there. But let me say clearly, I really want everyone to be here next week. If you have plans, change them. Like, I'm serious. If there's any way you can change plans, like calling someone, asking to cover your shift if you work Sunday nights. Uh, If you have plans with out-of-town friends or family, bring them. Bring your kids. It's an interactive time, an hour, where we are choosing to trade a week of, uh, of eating food to a week of praying to God and exchanging those things. Now, as far as participating in the fasting and some of the, you know, what that means and stuff, the, the description of how you can do that, especially with people with different dietary needs and stuff like that, that's in the booklets in the back. Uh, so all the information of that and in the insert in those booklets uh, right outside in the foyer, as you're on your way out, those booklets, take one for you, and in the insert is the time of all of our prayer meetings in the fasting week. Now, we are joining in this week of fasting and prayer, and thus this series, the content that we're going to be covering, we're joining with around 100 nations of our Every Nation family. Thousands of people in, in various different churches that are going through Ephesians, and the theme of the fasting week, and thus the theme of this sermon series over the next month or so, is in Christ. That's really what's so repetitive, as we're going to cover today, in the book of Ephesians, in Christ. Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul. It's called by some the the queen of the epistles, in that it is rich and regal, if you will, with the content about God's eternal purposes for his glorious and lovely church. We're going through Ephesians, and remember, when Paul wrote this, he was in prison. So I can confidently say that all of us, in some ways, have different and better circumstances than Paul. None of us are in prison. Some of us, however, are imprisoned to different ways of thinking, Uh, different earthly vanities that we need to get free of. And when we really connect to the depth of what Paul means and what God intended, when he says over and over again, in Christ, it could very well bring new life as you know it, added to your new year. And that is my deep conviction in my prayer. As I teach today, I'll teach verse by verse through our passage. Of course, we don't have time to teach verse by verse through the whole book of of Ephesians. Maybe someday we'll come back to that and take several years to do so. Uh, But we're going to go chapter by chapter. And today, I really want to unpack in order, verse by verse, verses 3 through 7 of Ephesians 1, which we've already read. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would help you to see the deep meaning of what in Christ means for you and for your new year and how launching off from this year to next year can be something way different than you've ever experienced. Some of y'all, this understanding is going to very literally rescue you by the Spirit of the living God. In Christ, 
So our first verse, verse 3. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That verse right there is like the richest fudge brownie you've ever had. There is so much here. And I will nonetheless endeavor to preach this verse and the three or four verses following. So we're going to be here for a while, okay? If you have kids next to you, then um, just pray. I aim to talk for, about blessing for a minute here when we unpack this verse. I think it's a, a really good moment to give my, the best prosperity teaching I can give you right now. Blessing, or the word blessed, is mentioned twice in this verse. Talking about prosperity and blessing is super important and opportune today. Many of us are uh, trying to calculate our bills from what we've already spent over the holidays, right? Even as we're preparing our financial plans for a new year. And right now I'm asking you, church, please, in regards to blessing... And prosperity, don't sell yourself short. Don't sell yourself short. I have no basic problem, uh, no real problem with uh, what's known as prosperity, biblical prosperity teaching in general. I, I, in, in the purest sense, God prospers us, and that's okay with me. Amen? Proverbs 10 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. So if he adds no sorrow to the riches of his blessing, then I would add, neither should we. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, he adds no sorrow to it. Now, I want to draw a contrast between the Lord's blessing and maybe some of the prosperity teaching you might have heard of or even Uh, God forbid, watched on TV accidentally as you're scrolling through. Uh, If you've never heard of health, wealth, prosperity teaching, then just tune out for a second. God bless you. Uh, But if, if you have heard of some of these things, I'll just tell you the basic problem I have with most of the teaching about prosperity that you'll hear maybe on TV or whatever is that there's not enough prosperity in it. Teachers often just talk about a bunch of earthly junk that you can name and claim, especially if you uh, write a check to whatever charlatan's teaching there, and, you know, and then you can get more earthly junk, but then they just stop there most often. And they leave you, and there's no talk about like the best stuff. Like there's, Hank, it's a way more blessed than that. There's no teaching about the riches of the blessing of God that is talked about in, in verse 6, In seven, the riches of his grace. God wants you to be blessed, church. Can anyone say amen? Amen. Gosh, that's, I'm feeling it right here. I want, I want blessing. I'm feeling like a, a, maybe right now, a little praise break and a little Fred Hammond blessed. Anyone old enough for that? Blessed? No one? Gosh, wake up, church. God wants us to be blessed. 
and not to be sold short of the blessing of God and the worries associated with the lesser things. He wants greater things for you. Now, these two words, two times it says blessing. I read this and I said, okay, it says blessed be God. So that's got to be a different word than when it says that he has blessed us. Uh, I researched it and they're actually the exact same word, but completely different meanings. And I'm going to explain why. Verse 3, at the start of verse 3, it says, blessed be God. It's, a, it's kind of an imperative for us to bless him, saying, let's bless him, in essence. Blessed be God. Praised, essentially. Praised be God. Why? What's the precedent for us to do that? It's, for, it's because of what God's already done in us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Sit on that for a second. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And because of that, blessed be God. They're two entirely different meanings, in my opinion, to the exact same word. I'll give you an example. When we bless God, we're exulting in what's already blessed. What's already amazing. What's already uh, praiseworthy blessing worthy. God is blessed and great and wonderful and glorious. And when we bless him, we're just calling it like it is. We're seeing him and saying, yeah, that's blessed. That's glorious. He is amazing. It's like when you go to the Rocky Mountains and you look and say, wow, or, you know, some artistic derivative of wow, if you're more poetic, you call blessing upon that which is already blessed. But it's different when God blesses us. When God blesses us, he's taking something that's cursed and blessing us and thus creating blessedness from nothing. And let me tell you, church, we, when we come to God in our sinfulness, we don't even give him any of the blessing ingredients. He creates blessing from scratch in us. This is important to understand. We don't help him out when he blesses us, we do the opposite. And he gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places to people who are utterly cursed. Ephesians 2, the next chapter we'll see next week. We are by nature objects of wrath. Not just like worse if we do really bad things and we kind of get, we are by nature the opposite of blessed. And these are the people, we, we, we're cursed and we curse God. And God chooses us to give us every spiritual blessing. When he blesses us, he's not admiring any inherent goodness in us like we do when we look at him or, in a lesser extent, the the Grand Canyon or the Rocky Mountains and, and, and just affirm what's already blessed. He's doing the opposite. Talk about a drastic contrast between how we bless God And how he blesses us. And where do I draw the distinction? The biggest contrast for why we make this this difference is this. It says that in verse 3, he has blessed us in Christ. He hasn't blessed us uh, in response to all of our goodness. He blesses us in Christ. In Christ 
and things like that. We'll see this, the rest of our passage and the rest of the verse. It's extremely repetitive. Because true blessing comes when we understand the true meaning of blessing. And it's so easy, church, to be misunderstood about this. God is amazing and blessed and we're everything that, that, that he's not. And in the coming of Christ and in the work that he does in us, we have everything and we should, do, we should have nothing. Verse 4 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I believe in free will to a certain extent. Uh, so free will, if you're not familiar with that, it's, a, it's kind of a new phrase that's come up in the Enlightenment in the last few hundred years. But I actually believe in free will to a certain extent. God has free will. God is free to do what he wants. That's how I believe in free will. He chose us. If you have faith in Christ, why? Why did he choose us? Because he has the freedom to do so. There's no evidence in this passage. There's no evidence in the Bible that anything we've done has made us more choosable. Okay, God uh, chose me because I'm a little extra special, because I'm, I'm not as bad as my brother. I'm not as wicked as, as that politician. No, he chose us, what does this verse say? In him. This is humbling and yet liberating if you let it be liberating. God freely chose, he could have freely chosen to reject us. And he chose us from the foundation of the world. Nothing that you do impresses God and makes you lovely enough to be chosen by him. His love makes us lovely when we're anything but because he chose to. Nothing you do impresses him, but listen to this. Nothing you do can take away his love from you either because he's chosen to place it on you because of his love in Christ. His love for his own glory in the mercy displayed by his perfect son, Jesus, who took upon himself your imperfections and chose from the foundation of the world to speak a better word over your life than your sin speaks over your life. It's bigger than you. Why did God choose you? Because he chose to. Again, this is kind of like an ant trying to, you know, to grasp physics. The greatness of God and what he chooses to do in history and in my life, and in your life, and in the year 2017, and to the degree to which you can stop 
and slow down and wonder at this and say, wow to God. Maybe you don't understand where the wow comes from or how it all fits together any more than you understand like how the Rocky Mountains got that way. But if you can just say wow at what he has done in you, just maybe you won't go into a new year and waste it. Slow down and say, wow, look at what God has done in my life compared to what he has done and what I deserve. Why would I worry about this thing any longer? Why why would I waste so much space in my mind about my interpersonal worries, about how I relate to this family member or what I'm going to do with this monthly budget? Church, this understanding about what God does Maybe you don't fully grasp God and you're not supposed to because he's God. But if you can at least wonder in his goodness in a way that far supersedes your worries and fears and your understanding, maybe you'll be more anointed than you've ever been to receive and reflect his blessing in the coming year. Nothing that you do can take away his love from you, the love that was placed on you before you did anything good or bad in the first place. You can't earn his favor. You can't earn his favor with this, this year's New Year's resolutions because his, his resolve, his resolution to save you was from the foundation of the world. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So when you fail in your New Year's resolutions, when you do, You might be out of touch with your own determination, but you don't have to be out of touch with the grace of God, which was determined to be upon you from the foundation of the world. Verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of, of his will. Uh, and I missed the, the, the words before that. It says, in love he predestined us. In love. See, in love, and I'm, and I'm doing a little bit of uh, extrapolation here, but First John says that God is love. So when Paul says here that in love, I can say in God, since God is love. It's another way of saying in Christ He predestined you. And then it says at the end of this verse, through Jesus Christ. Another way of saying, in Christ. Everything that God does is for, primarily, Jesus. In Jesus. Through Jesus. He doesn't need us and our actions to be impressed and therefore, our actions, our blamelessness, our desire to be holy is from him and in him and not your best effort that's just going to continue to fail. When we're in Christ, we're holy and blameless in the beloved, it says. When we understand that our actions, when we're Christians, are through him, they're no longer through your effort, which is where our failures come from. Our glory comes through Jesus Christ. When we rest in him, no longer is our effort to try to do something that we can't do. 
We're resting in his power. We're trusting in his power. And we're reflecting it with anointing that we've never known before. In Christ, he predestined us. All of this is repetitive because our our fallenness, our lack of trust, wars against having what I call, and many others call, assurance. Assurance is a theological term that talks about how we can have doubtless trust that we are saved by God. And that if today is my last day, I will be with Jesus in glory. But I'm already assured We believe in this church that assurance is not only possible, but important, imperative. And here's why. When we trust in the goodness of God's saving work that transforms us, then it's already done. We're already blessed with every blessing in the heavenlies. And now our effort is no longer to doubt ourselves. Our effort is to bless him. And not worry and doubt about us. Our, all of our energy is to bless God. And in the overflow of that blessing, others come in to that blessing in Christ. If you think that doubting your salvation is an act of humility, I want to argue with you for a second. It's unbelief. It's not humility. Because... When you doubt your salvation, you're questioning the adoptive power of God that is lacking nothing. When he chooses or predestines to adopt, there is no arguing with it. Five years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to adopt my son, Asa. I want to tell you, Asa had no choice in the matter. With our adoption papers that we signed through our agency, there was no line for the adopted child where he signed. He was an infant in the NICU in between life and death with no parents. He didn't choose to be adopted. We adopted him. It was my choice. And more than it was my choice and more than it was my agency's Choice. It was the elective agency of the living God who planned for us to be his parents long before we had suffered infertility or this way and that way. I can't imagine not being Asa's father because I've always meant to be his father. God set his love on you long before you did anything bad which should squash your guilt. And he chose to adopt you long before he, you ever did anything good, which should squash your vanity and your presumption, like you're going to please God in this new year enough to make him want to, to be your father. He has already chosen to put his love on you. And this should give us a type of assurance that causes us to rest in his goodness and to use our energy to bless him and to reflect his blessing to others. Thank you, God. Next 
few verses, verses five and six, the end of verses five. By grace, oh, that's chapter two. That's going to be a good one. Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purposes of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Again, more talk about true prosperity and blessing. He has blessed us in the beloved. I think that in the beloved is a strange phrase. I think it means in the church, in the body of Christ, in Christ. He has blessed us. Why? Again, why? According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. You need to know that even greater than God's desire for you to be with him instead of in hell is God's desire to bring glory to his mercy that's manifest in Jesus dying on the cross. The glory of his mercy could never be known as well as it is had God not preordained to save sinners by dying on the cross as a penalty for our sin. He planned for this way to be the the world would go by creating us perfect, we reject him and he saves us so that the glory of his grace would be lifted up. And this year when you're going to try to do other things, you're going you're to really try to focus on this, I'm going to try to do this better and this habit better, you know what God wants you to focus on? The glory of his grace that was there before you did any of that stuff, good or bad. And that will be there long after you do good or bad things any longer. What will always be What has always been from the foundation of the world, the Alpha and the Omega is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And he does everything ultimately, ultimately, ultimately for the glory of his grace. And in the glory of his grace, we enjoy every spiritual blessing. Specifically, it starts with this, our last verse that I'll read. This is how. So that was, what, that was the purpose of all the blessing. And this is how we get it. Verse 7, in him, again in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. And there it goes again. According to the riches of his grace. If you're not rich yet, I pray that you would be rich by the time we dismiss. The richness in this is overwhelming. Here's the thing, church. If we can understand the depth of this, then the spirit of striving could be finally and fully broken off our life. You know that God has preordained a moment which is called today for you to be so full of the Holy Spirit 
that you burst forth with blessing and you overflow with prophecy and that you tell people their dreams and you, you speak in other languages and tongues uh, in, in heavenly ways that you can communicate with God. You lay hands on sick people and see them get well. In the degree to which you understand and rest in the greatness of what God has done in Jesus in forgiving our sin capacitates us for signs and wonders. And as we prepare for a fasting period, as we prepare for a new year, I think there's no better time than for us actually to look back at the blessing that we've received in the past so that we could be overwhelmed and purified with the things that we could maybe take for granted, the most glorious things, namely the redemption, the taking back of lost, broken objects of wrath to be adopted sons and daughters through a very precious blood that was shed. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived. And he died the death that we should have died in our place, shedding his blood. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, proving that he is God and gaining the power to offer salvation to anyone who turns, repents, and believes the good news. We have power to be sons and daughters of God and to reflect his power to a broken world. Instead of wasting our time with anxieties. So compared to what God has already done in the past, church, let me be very specific. Does it really matter if you lose that 10 pounds? I pray that you would lose your anxiety. That you would gain more riches. By all means, go ahead and pray that you lose 10 pounds. That's great. But more importantly that you would gain new power, supernatural power. He has made available every spiritual blessing. I'm not just speaking out of hope. I'm speaking out of what I've seen, miracles I've witnessed, and miracles in the power of his name that I will continue to see. And I pray that you would join me. I pray that you would join me in prayer. I would pray that you would join me in blessing of God. As we look back on an amazing year, I want to call my brother Emmy up to share what God has done in his life this year. And I want this to help you, church, to see that all the things that, that uh, we could worry about, God is doing greater things. And as you hear what God has done and as you prepare yourself for a new year before the Lord God, that you could continue to say, see his blessing be on his church unto others that are not yet in his church, that he has planned on using you to bless. Testify, brother. First of all, I'll introduce myself. Uh, my name is Emmy. I'm a junior. I go to Texas State. Um, I don't know, it's, it's like weird being on this side because I've seen so many people testify and give their testimonies and everything. I just never thought I would be up here. Um, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about 
you know, kind of what my story or my journey has been. Because um, I don't know if anybody else can relate to it or if it'll help them in theirs. But, um, you know, before I was in Christ, um, I was really hurt. Uh, I went through my freshman year of college firmly believing that I didn't need God or that I couldn't stand the thought of religion. Um, I grew up in a very Catholic home. Um, and I just never, I never enjoyed going to church. I never enjoyed being around the church. Um, so I just thought that, you know, once I came here, I could finally go live my own life, you know, make my own decisions. And uh, eventually I just felt lonely. Um, I was hurt by the world around me, and I felt mostly lost. And I didn't know who to turn to, and then it kind of hit me that I needed God. Um, so in 2017, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what God has done for me and how he's transformed my life. Um, I would say that the first thing that I found um, in God was peace. And the second one was hope. Um, every time that life has frustrated me, every time that I've kind of felt like everything was over, whether it was financially, whether it was emotionally, uh, the days where I didn't want to get out of bed, and the days where I felt like nothing could ever get better than what I was feeling, God has continually come through for me. Whether it's been through prayer or through my girlfriend, Kenna, who's sitting right there, um, who's kind of been an angel for me and been and supported every single thing that I've done. Um, you know, whether it's as simple as, have you eaten today? To, you know, how do you feel? Um, or Dan. Dan's not here, him and his wife, Kristen. But I remember, like, Dan would text me and I wouldn't text him back. You know, or Dan would, like, <laughs> hey, do you want to meet up? Come talk about something. And I would just, I would go ghost. And every single time I came back, and Dan took me back with open arms. Um, you know, when I sat here and I, I got a prophecy about a few weeks ago, um, Dan and Kristen invited me to their house and they talked to me about that. You know, and I found that God has been ever present and ever welcoming through my life, through the people and the revelations that he's shown me. Um, you know, to be in Christ was scary for me. Uh, I kind of felt like God was like a principal, right, or like a, a punisher almost. You know, so when I first came in contact with the ENC in September 2016, um, I didn't want to get baptized whatsoever. Um, so I don't know if y'all knew, but it took me like a whole year to get baptized because I felt like the minute that I like dedicated or made that promise to God, it meant I couldn't make mistakes anymore um, or that God would leave me or God would punish me greatly through any single mistake that I ever made. Um, but rather, what I found was that I get a peace through God that I never had before. Um, I have an overwhelming sense of, uh, of this idea that everything is going to be all right. And that my life doesn't have to run on, on the plan that I've always envisioned. You know, I've always told myself, this is how everything's supposed to be. Or, you know, now it's supposed to be perfect. But I've come to the term that, that God is okay with me making mistakes. That rather than being concerned uh, about our mistakes, that God rather cares about my heart and about correcting it, about blessing me, and, and me learning through every single thing that I've been through, rather than punishing me. Um, and so kind of reflecting upon that, I'll go into 2018, um, you know, I feel like I'm still on my path. I'm figuring out what God wants of me. But ultimately, I feel like God wants me to use, wants to use me to speak to and to uplift other people. Um, specifically in this church, I've enjoyed being with the kids. Um, I do kids' church once a month. And so, um, you know, through the kiddos, like, I feel like, um, you know, God blesses me with the words. I hope that God blesses me with words reasonings and, and demeanor that'll make the children be receptive to, you know, the word of God and want to grow and learn in a way to look forward to church in a way that I, you know, didn't when I was young. Um, I also want God to help me feel more comfortable talking about him to people my age. Um, that's something that's been so hard for me in the past because I've always kind of 
felt like God was alienating or weird or hard, but, you know, now I come into a church and everyone's just, you know, open arms and loving and caring, and I want to be able to pass that on to other people. So, you know, I guess that's my uh, my two-minute, a little bit longer than two minutes, but, <laughs> but yeah, thank you all. Thank you. There's been countless stories like this that God has been doing this year, that he has been planning on doing this year. I look back and I bless God uh, from the new members to 67 people going through Victory Weekend. And we want to continue to honor God and make disciples. That's our mission statement. The order in the sentence is also important because that's the order in our schedule as well this next year. At the end of January, a lot of our discipleship initiatives that we've announced are going to be there. I hope you sign up. The start of January, we're going to come together and we're going to bless God. We're going to honor God. And I encourage you to join us in spirit and in truth and physically as well. Uh, Would you stand to your feet with me?